Hello and welcome everybody to Big Ideas, the public speaking podcast where we take one of the big ideas in the world and we try and unpack it for you to be able to use it better in your speeches. Uh, You're with James and Jules. Say hi to Jules. Hi everyone. Fantastic. And today our big idea is going to be Racism. racism. Now that's going to be a really interesting one. Uh, obviously, it's it's a hugely uh, not just contentious topic, but it's often talked about. Very common in public speaking. And very very important, but it also has some very common pitfalls, and uh, we need to be talking about well, those today. Well, like any idea area that people think a lot about and generally agree on, mm. but the issue that it's a problem. It's very hard to find interesting new takes on that thing that actually engages an audience, entertains them and makes the point you're trying to make. Absolutely. And as always, when we talk about these kind of big ideas, this is guidance. This is just advice. This is not saying that we, you know, would would approve of a speech that goes completely off off the reservation, so to speak, and, you know, to, to try and... Um, try and find a completely inventive new way to discuss these things. This is more about practical kind of advice that you can apply to your speech. And to make it fresh. Yeah, and to make it just a little bit more, uh, with a little little bit more life. I think the real thing there, James, is just people actually being engaged enough with the material they're using that it comes as though it feels authentic. As is always the case with these ones, Jules. So now we're going to go through three different things in terms of this. As always, we're going to go through commonly used introductions, where they win, where they lose. We're going to go through commonly used examples, where they win and lose. And then the last one, the takeaways, the messages that you give and you leave your audience with and what we see and how they could be kind of tweaked a little bit to really uh, you know, create that impact. I think the first area that you're talking about there, James, causes people to look for common expressions to use as an introduction for their speech. So with... Yeah, particularly in terms of uh, speeches with racism, common expressions. Yes, so the most common one that I've heard, and I imagine you've heard it many times, is we shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Yes, absolutely. Uh, We use a lot of those phrases, we use a lot of those, uh, well... Idioms or aphorisms, aphorisms, you know, famous quotes. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you start a speech with, uh, we'll get to quotes. I think probably in the examples. But when you when you start a speech with something like you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, I think the reality is in a speech about racism, and we we kind of know that this is such a common phrase. No one's really going to disagree with you. And it means that you're probably not starting off with a bang. People are going to go, I've heard this before. Or, yes, that's obvious. What ne- What's next? Yeah. And I think people reach for it because aphorisms sound cool. They sound familiar. They're, they're solid ground because they encapsulate the thing that you're trying to say, which is basically racism doesn't is a bad thing and we shouldn't think about people being different. Because another, another common expression that's used early in the speech is, we're all the same inside. Yeah, on the inside. Uh, you know, or speeches to do with racism um, often have, uh, you know, those those kind of more childlike, uh, childlike aphorisms as well. Like, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me, or 
whatever the equivalent is. Yes, is that the right one? The right one. It's used in bullying speeches, but also racist speeches. Yeah, and and we, we often, um, you know, or, or we might hear that we all bleed the same, you know, on, on the more dark kind of macabre yeah. side of things. Yes. So we've given you a, a, bit of a, a bit of a list of examples there in terms of often uh, used introductions. Jules, if you were a student or if you're a teacher and you saw someone or you felt like you wanted to use one of these phrases, what, what would you do or what could you use as an alternative or how, how would you approach making it a little bit more lively? I think the thing I normally say to students is, why does this topic actually matter to you? Where do you connect with it? Uh, so I get them to go straight beyond the, the, the cliché, the common aphorism, and they may find a way of using it eventually in their speech or, or, or turning it upside down in some way, but unless they make some sort of connection with the, the area that, so it's real for them, it's not going to work. Yeah, so specifically with regards to a speech about racism, though, how would you, how would you kind of um, use something else? Like, what would, you, what would you put in there if not that kind of an aphorism? I think um, the best way to do it is to ask kids where they, why this thing matters to them, what experience they've had of it. Do they know someone who's experienced racist behaviour? Do they have a friend? Do they have a family member, a, a forebear? Have they seen something on the news that really caught their attention? Um, is there something that they can actually draw on that leads them into the speech? Yeah, that's an interesting, always an interesting way to, to deal with an introduction. And, you know, we often look at, at things like personal examples and, and we kind of go, yeah, that's, that's a really cool place to start. I think you make a good point as well, Jules, when you say that... Um, you know, you can often use these things later in your speech. In the same way, you could use your personal example later in the speech as well, or you could you could develop it. I There's think no rule about where you start and end, but what you need to do is try and get the audience to go, ooh, what's happening here? Absolutely. And I would be a huge proponent, big advocate for someone replacing uh, one of those, you know, aphorisms uh, with something like... A personal example but it's important that we don't fall into the second hole of using the wrong type of personal example because this is a this is another one that in in speeches about racism we often have uh, personal examples that drive us to talk about this and unfortunately um, they they have some pitfalls as well and I'll start I'll start the ball rolling on this one in terms of saying a, a lot of people say well, when I first met my friend, person, generally a person with a, a name that might be a foreign name, um, I didn't think that they would be able to speak my language. But now I've found out they can. And the problem with that is that we start getting into vaguely racist territory. Exoticizing people. Yeah, absolutely. And... and and yeah, you can see how it's relevant to the speech, yeah. but relevance to the speech does not mean it's a useful device to leave the right message. And I think that's that's my first one when I'm when I'm talking about personal examples to do with speeches with like content around racism. It's interesting how pitfalls form into the way we think about these things. And of course, kids, it's 
it's awkward for them to find their way through this. But um, you know, it's like the adult who says, some of my best friends are Jews. You know, you just, you just um, know that we're going somewhere that's directly awkward because they're misunderstanding the purpose of, of the discussion they're having. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and, and this is the, the same thing with I'm not racist, but kind yes, of phrases. exactly. Yeah, so, so in terms of, a, uh, that's, my, that's my first piece of uh, personal example kind of advice. Uh, Jules, do you have anyone that you would you would add to the, the personal example category for, for kids or I think one of the things that's really interesting about kids is often they don't realize they're sitting on something really interesting mm-hmm. and and if they go home and talk to the people in their life about the world around them and the family stories they can often find something really interesting yeah just as if they if they go and look at uh, I think we're going to talk about this in, in, in other podcasts, but if they go and look for interesting takes from current affairs and the news, because they can find a way into the topic in, in fresh ways that give them a chance of getting excited about what they're talking about. Yeah, that's definitely good advice in terms of um, trying to draw on as many influences as you can to try and hone in on some of those examples that you, you might just kick over a rock and, f- and find something. And I, I think it's particularly true with speeches to do with racism in, in their content. So you, you might be able to um, unpack a little bit of your family history. And again, one word of warning there, mm. which is the speech is not supposed to be your family history or your genealogy or anything like that. And we've um, both heard speeches like that where... Too many, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it can be a door opening into understanding. Yeah, and I think the point that Jules makes, and it's quite quite well made, is that the conversation that you have does not need to be the speech that you have. It's the conversation gets you to look into something further in the same way that you would look into current affairs or the news to try and find inspiration. But that's a really good way to approach content in a speech about racism. So now we look at the next part, which is the examples that we use. Uh, I'll kick us off again because I just want to pinch this one. Uh, if I think it's, I mean, obviously we have the, I have a dream speech, fantastic speech, uh, by Dr. King and a a speech that I have heard so many times that I used in so many ways, in, in so many ways that unfortunately, unless it is an audio recording of Dr. King giving that speech, I feel like it does not have anywhere near the impact that it, it once had. It's, it's funny, this phrase pops into your head when everyone said, says to me, I had a dream last night, mm. I immediately think of Martin Luther yeah. King. <laughs> and and, and this, is, this is one of the blessings and curses of, of things like public speaking. Mm. Um, you know, not just in a competitive uh, lens, but, you know, it's one of those things where you're right, Jules, that you you hear the phrase, oh yeah, I had a dream last night, and you're like, <laughs> and it plays in your head. Mm. But if that's such a normalised thing in your day-to-day life... How could it work in a speech? How can it work in a speech? And, and why... I mean, the reason why is just because it becomes too common. And so because its rarity kind of... Um, decreases then its impact also decreases and and that's just it's a little bit sad but you're not going to find a different way 
to deliver the I have a dream message. I really doubt it. If you, if you can, send us an email. Uh, james at consensuseducation.com is com- feel free to tell me because I've heard hundreds of speeches that have used this quote and I, I'm yet to find one. Which of course isn't an embargo on using quotes. No, gosh. Absolutely no. not. It's just not using the first quote you think of. Again, we go back to our thing. Don't use the first thing you think of. Don't use the second thing you think of. Try and mind deeper. Yeah, and particularly true when it comes to racism and race, like racist content in speeches. Um, so, or speeches that deal with racist content. Um, so, the reason for that is that, you know, quite rightly, we're talking about them in the public um, kind of discourse. And that means that we have heard a lot of the examples that are going to come out. Um, Rosa Parks is another one uh, that, that you might hear. What about any on, on your list of examples that are often used in speeches about racism, Jules? I can't think of any other quotes because the, the I have a dream one is so common. Yeah, just examples, I think. Yes. Yeah. I, I think where I'd like to go is perhaps briefly looking at some examples that I've heard kids use that are better, very briefly. Mm-hmm. And I can think of one child who I actually did not know was Indigenous and she didn't realise she was sitting on an interesting aspect of, for her speech. And she just, it just came up by accident that her grandfather had, had denied their family's Aboriginality to the, to the rest of the family, that he'd hidden it. And it came out by accident. And that she, she realised, as soon as she started talking, I said, that's really interesting. And she realised she wanted to write a speech about being denied, denied your identity because of social pressures. And that, you, know, I, you may have heard speeches like that, James, but I thought it was, it was a fresher take. Yeah, it's a, it's a good take, and it definitely backs up your first, um, your first thing that you said as well, Jules, in terms of making sure you have those conversations to see if you are sitting on a bit of a gold mine um, in terms of some of your, your personal experience. I think that's a, that's a great way to look at personal examples. I think another one that I can think of just comes into my head from a speech that, that wasn't the greatest speech I've ever heard, but it was interesting because the kid took a different take and imagined a job interview. And in that job interview, oh, sorry, it was before a job interview, job applications, and in this speech, the, 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 the kid in year five, I, th- I think they were, imagined someone looking, uh, vetting applications and seeing a name that was, that was unusual and from another culture and throwing it in the rubbish bin. Um, now again, it's, it's only one example, but it was a, I hadn't heard a kid take that and, and this person took it quite interestingly through that process. So there are many ways to start a speech. Yeah, I think that one's a good one because if you looked at the Don't Dodge a Book by its cover, the introduction that mm. we talked about in the first idea, um, this is a practical demonstration of that. Of, yeah. of you know, how, how that plays out. The, the, whole yeah. you took, the way that the speaker described it, you took you to a real situation where you were imagining the, the applications being vetted yeah. and scrunched up yeah. and thrown in the bin. And a word of, a word of caution, as always, uh, it's not an acting performance, so we're not actually looking at, you know, someone acting that out. No, no. We're asking someone to paint us a word picture of that's what, what that process is, is yeah. and it's good that the speaker did that. So that's a couple of quick examples that are um, from my end, like overused examples, and from Jules, uh, a couple of examples that 
you know, might be a little bit more fresh um, and still a little bit personal. And to wrap us up in terms of this idea of speeches about racism, uh, we're just going to look at takeaways. Uh, now, takeaways, of course, what you leave your audience with, how you leave your audience thinking, how you leave your audience feeling. Uh, Jules, what's the most often used and overused one for you? Yes, and this is where we often call a call for action, where a speaker will end their speech by saying, that's why I stand for no racism. Or, yeah, yeah that's why we should all go out and fight against racism. Yeah, and, and it's fair to say calls to action are great parts of speeches. It's hard, though, to come up with a call to action in a speech about racism that anyone would disagree with or that would add an element to the speech that makes it more engaging or more persuasive. And it can even be slightly alienating when a person, a kid gets up at a speech and says, you all need to realise that action on racism has to start today. Yeah. And the audience is thinking, well, I actually don't stand for racism already, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's those broad call to actions that I would always condemn. So things like, the real change starts from within, or it was you all along. And, you know, those kind of things can be applied to any speech that matters about anything. So when we do make a call to action, about a speech with, with racism it's um, as its content area. It's important to realize that it's very rare that anyone's going to be thinking, I don't want to do anything about racism, but it's also very rare that they were thinking, I was racist before I entered this room and now I'm going to leave not racist. Would you say that's fair, Jules? I think that's very fair. And I think it's a fundamentally fascinating thing about areas that are generally agreed on that most people will not stand for racism, but racism exists in our community. So that's one of the fascinating things about trying to navigate a topic that everyone's going to agree with you, but it's a real problem. Mm -hmm. So if you were giving some advice on how to wrap up a speech that dealt with uh, racism as its content area, what would you, what would you do? Yes, I think it, that's something I would, I would try and help a kid structure out of the, what their, their message actually is and how they formed it. But I think the basic thing is to tie the parts of your speech together so that how you're, you, you set up what you're doing in the end is reinforced in, your, in your, the persuasive conclusion of your speech. Um, it's specific to any speech, I think, how you actually do that. Yeah, I think there there probably are ways uh, to look at conclusions with speeches that deal with content like this and say, if you were going to ask them to do something, you should probably give a very achievable, fair oh. assessment of what those goals could look like and like, or at least have a look at where progress has been made and like how things could go forward. It also- and That's where specific information can be useful. Yeah, it can also be very helpful to look at calls to action that have been made by other groups in society that have probably thought about this kind of issue longer than you have and analyze some of those things. That'll actually help you generate content as well, which is always good. So Jules is right when he says, look, let's have a look at all the threads and tying them all together. It would be probably 
less advisable to try and say, we can all solve racism if we all work together on it. Um, those kind of airy-fairy endings in speeches about morality or moral issues are really common. It's one to avoid when it comes to speeches about racism, not because we're pro-racism, but because it's a very deep, very, very intrinsic and problematic part of our society. And an unadmitted part. Exactly. Mm. And we need to deal with it in that way. So that's that's like the core part about dealing with any kind of content, but particularly speeches with this kind of content, with content about racism. Um, it means that, yep, we always need to take it seriously. That was a given. But it also means that if it's a serious problem, it's unlikely that you were going to fix it in a five-minute speech. Or that you were the first person to ever think about it. Exactly. So bring that kind of a lens if you're teaching or if you're thinking about those speeches. You need to bring that lens to it and go, yep, cool. These people have thought this through before. What can I add to that conversation? What can I teach my audience that they probably haven't heard? And that's your goal with any speech, but it's particularly true here. And that means it may be quite a small aspect of the bigger problem. If you can find an interesting smaller aspect that illustrates it in an interesting way, it's both avoids you being grand and making grand statements, and it leads the audience somewhere where they may not have ever been. Absolutely. And with a topic this complex, it's very likely that you'll be able to find that. So anyway, keep looking, keep searching for those crumbs, keep adding them into your speeches, and keep speaking nice and loud and showing your voice. Uh, that's all from me, Jules. And, and from me, thanks. All right. Until then, happy speaking. <laughs>